the title here is The Opportunity for Healthcare Workers uh, to Serve in Closed Countries. Uh, one of the things that we're finding out in the missions world is that uh, there's a lot of disruption going on, and we need to take notice of that, uh, but also try to understand what, what, what will it take to get into these closed countries where many of the unreached are. But I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the term missionary. What, what, what picture comes to mind quickly? When I was growing up I, as a small boy in my family of three other siblings in the cold winter nights in Ireland, my parents would gather us around the fire and they would read uh, some of the scriptures and then they would read a chapter or two out of a mission biography. So we would be uh, reading stories of William Carey, how he, who, uh, who he left the shores of England after being told to sit down by his elders. Young man, if, the, if God's going to reach the heathen, heathens, He'll do it himself. Young William walked out the door and not long after that got on a ship to India and started to change India. People like Adnar Judson who heard that story here in the US and was the first white missionary to leave these shores and go take the gospel. Thinking he was going to India, William Carey didn't trust the Methodist. William was a Baptist. Adnar was a Methodist. He said, I don't trust these Methodists. You need to go somewhere else. So Adnar ended up in Burma. He sailed up the Irrawaddy River to, the, to the, uh, the center of Rangoon in those days and started to share the gospel. On this day, if you go there, you'll still find the Bible that Adoniram Judson translated into Burmese and he uh, planting churches over there. These were the, the pictures that I have had in my mind of missionaries. These were my heroes. We didn't have a TV in the house, so when we grew up, our heroes were missionaries. And I always wanted to be what they were. And in many senses, I became that to a large degree. Many amazing things, and you're hearing it this weekend, have been done by people like that. Today, God is at work around the world in, in, in unprecedented ways where people are coming to faith. We just recently heard of, of people coming to faith in Algeria. In some villages in Algeria and North Africa, there are more Christians going to church on a Friday than there are Muslims going to a mosque. The church in Iran, some people put it anywhere between a half a million to one million people inside of Iran that are following Jesus today. The, the people that God has called out over these last 250 years of the modern missions movement have done incredible things and amazing things are happening even in our time. But all is not well with that model. As Andrew said, one of the... Um you know, one of the things we hear about today in missions is, is the growth of the church in the global south. And I don't know if any of you have had a, had a chance to read uh, the book by our friend, A Wind in the David House of David Islam. Garrison. David Garrison, A Wind in the House of Islam, looking at movements of, of, of peoples coming to faith in the Muslim world. Very, very encouraging. Incredible things happening that no other generation uh, since the time of Christ has seen. Uh, but despite all of that, what we, uh, the, the, the reality of, of the uh, situation today is that the Joshua Project, among others, who do the numbers, estimate there are still 2.8 billion people in our world today who have not heard the gospel. Uh, more worrying than that is the reality that 57,000 people a day are being added to that list of the unreached. And so it doesn't take a mathematician to realize that we're going backwards. By the year 2050, there will be 3.2 billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel. Today, there are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. By 2050, there will be 2.7 billion Muslims in the world, most of whom have never had a chance to hear the gospel. And so something about our model isn't right. Uh, something about the way that we're doing mission, the way that we've done mission, for the last 150 to 200 years, is broken. The reality also, in light of, in light of those uh, numbers, is that um, 95% of all workers sent from North America are serving within North America, which represents 4% of the world's population. 95% of all the workers sent from North America are serving here in a country that represents 4% of the population. And so, uh, what, what is it that God is calling us to um, that might look a little different? And when we think of all of the Christian workers in the world, and, and, and if you take pastors, church leaders, all of what we put in this horrible category, full-time Christian worker, 
It's about 6 million. We have 13,000 of them focused on the unreached population. Those that have never heard, those 2.8 billion, who have never heard once, we have put this small percentage of our effort towards changing the reality of the gospel. But there's another issue with our current traditional model where we have asked people to leave what they're doing, their vocation, and all of these things in this country and go to another place and do something very different and raise support to do it. It just is not sustainable. We are not able to fund the number of workers it's going to take to reach the unreached. Because our model is 250 years old. We've done it for that amount of time. And we're finding we're going backwards. And so uh, we just don't have the finance available. We talk to pastors on a regular basis. And they said, even when people from our church, missions pastors, when people from our church come and say, I feel God's calling me to missions. He said, we should be rejoicing. But the reality is we're going, how do we fit them into our budget? I don't know if you're following the IMB, David Platt's organization that he's leading. He's a great friend. And the other day he was just sharing the burden he's carrying where he's going to have to lay eight to 900 people off because they don't have the money. They're 20 million in the hole in this year. It's just not a sustainable model. Uh, so Andrew shared about the sustainability. There's also the element of, of uh, when we look at... Um, effectiveness on the field and as I said we served in Russia for many years and one of our challenges was we went in under a whole list of different visas first as students then as cultural students then in, um, as uh, 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 cross-cultural workers and there were a lot of different categories but we always struggled to explain to people what is it that we're doing here why are we actually here and that only increased suspicion and that led to uh, challenges for us in engaging with our local community and so in particular with the the situation currently in the Muslim world and, and a lot of the challenges that, that uh, ISIS is bringing to the table, um, these point to a future that's going to require missionaries to have real credibility. Not the tent-faking model that many missions, including OM, have been involved in in the past, where we would take uh, a business into an area for the sake of getting a visa, which then allowed us to do real ministry on the side, um, uh, which locals and nationals see through very easily but actually pointing us towards a, a model where we're taking in a, a, a job or a, a business project that gives us credibility with, with the locals. And that takes us to the next point, of which I'll see this time with my eyesight. That doesn't fit. Uh, we have found, as we've spoken to many, especially of the millennials, is that, and, and, and actually in the history of missions, so much, so much of the body of Christ has looked at, the, at, at what we've articulated as full-time Christian work or missions and said, if that's what it means, it doesn't fit who, how God has wired me. Especially now millennials coming through where they don't see a dichotomy of, of, of uh, uh, sec sacred and secular. All of life has the potential to glorify God. And so whenever we in the, in the missions world divide it up and say, well, no, no, you, you have to leave your work and go do ministry, which looks completely different, we take away from them the very tools that God put in them to be used for his purposes and glory. And, so, and in so many other ways it's not fitting today. Geopolitically, which, which Jonathan touched on, we're just not able to get the visas we used to do. They, the governments are seeing through all of these other strategies we had. And secondly, NGOs that used to be able to stay for a long time in an honor-shame culture are not getting the long-term presence that they need because they're doing for the people what the government feel they know they should be doing themselves and these people are shaming them because they're doing it so they are asked to leave the country. So the model is no longer fitting where the world and where generations are at. And, and, and what that ends up doing is it leaves too many people on the sidelines. We have a deep belief uh, in, in OM that as when, when God created us Ephesians 1 says that before he even laid the foundations of the earth, he loved you, he adopted you, he chose you. So he wanted you for a relationship. Ephesians 2 goes on and says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. Well, when, when did he come up with that? Well, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So if you take Ephesians 2 in the context of Ephesians 1, you find out that before God made you, he thought of what he wanted you to do, and then he made you accordingly. His only purpose for putting us on this earth was to get, be able to enjoy his glory, to share in his glory, and then to share his glory. And so I say to you today, that, as I said this morning, you're not, I don't believe you're called to the purposes of God. You're made for them. No one's exempt. 
We can't delegate it to somebody else. We're all included in the purposes of God. Now it's going to look different. Your vocation in life will look differently. And that goes back to how has God made you. He's made you with certain talents. Certain, he's given you certain gifts. He's given you a personality. He's given you passions. All of which he put in you for his purposes. Which is to see his glory fill the earth. Back to Genesis 1. And so our role as we as his people live on this earth is to reflect this glory of God. And just a couple of verses to share with you at this time. The Apostle Paul says this. So, in light of all of what I've been teaching you guys, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I think whatever covers ever and, and, and everything. I love this verse here, and this is the Apostle Peter. He says this as temporary residents and foreigners. Now, this is a whole message in and of itself. I don't know if you know this, but you're not really Americans. As soon as we can get past that, that we are sojourners, we are aliens, not as in the, the little horned people, but as in, the, as in the people that do not really belong here. And without getting off on a tangent, when you go to Hebrews, it says that actually the people that God loves are the people, Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame, are the people who realize that this earth was not their home. That's who God loves to call his own and love. So anyway, as temporary residents and foreigners, live your life quietly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and they will give honor to God. And this sort of brings you towards the model and what we're talking about and what we believe all of us in this room are put on this earth to do is to live our lives out the way God intended you to live out as a medical professional, which is very different from me. You don't want to come to me for any of your medical needs. How, we are, how God wired us to, be, to live out our lives, to live it out quietly in front of the people. Just live it out. Be who God has made you to be. And as we do that, even though they may accuse us of all sorts of things, they will see your good deeds and they will give honour to God, or they will glorify God is another translation. And that's what it's all about. I just read a statistic this week. I, I, in all that I hear about the Muslim world, I always thought that it was dreams and visions that were the, was the number one, I don't know if you've heard this, the number one reason people were coming to faith in the Muslim world was dreams and visions. I've always heard that. That's not right. The number one reason, after uh, surveying 650 Muslim background believers, that they came to faith was because they watched the life of another Christian. And they saw authenticity. They saw love. You see the glory of God is very attractive. And when we live out. What he put in us. For his glory. We reflect his glory. And people are attracted to his glory. So live quietly among the people. It's a little bit like this. Let me introduce you to Kay. Kay's in a very close country. She went there 17 years ago. And she said Andrea I went to do my job as unto the Lord. I, Brandon and I were there recently and heard this from her. I did, did it as unto the Lord. I wasn't here to serve an earthly master. And I went in and I was going to be the best nurse I could be in this hospital, in this country. It was a, it was a, a government-run hospital. And so she was just so good at nursing. They said, hey, we love what we see in you. Would you train the other nurses? Sure I will. She had a bit of an education background as well. So she did. And not long after that, they came to her and said, look, the nurses are all doing so well in this hospital. Would you come and train the doctors? Because they need to learn this as well. And so she started to train the doctors. You know, today Kay reports directly to the CEO in that hospital. She's just so valuable. And she's just so valuable to them that they allow her to do whatever she wants. And so she has Bible studies with the women, the, the, the Muslim women in that hospital. And here's, a, here's the crazy thing. Is that she takes her Bible study material to the secret police guy who has the keys to the print room. And she said, will you print these for me, for my Bible study? And, that, and that's what happens. But because, even though they will accuse you of doing all sorts of things, they will honor God because of your good deeds that they see in your life. And that's what we're talking about. We have a number of friends around the world who uh, kind of live out this, um, this philosophy that, that Andrew's talking about, uh, really a theology. Um, uh, not all of them are medics, but we just wanted to give you a, a bit of a, a cross-section of what some of them are involved in, especially in light of what we we're talking about, sustainability and new model. Uh, this is Sean, and Sean is an American who uh, 
does something that I have never understood. He uh, is involved in Greco-Roman wrestling. And uh, Sean actually looked up I where... I see why you're not Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, Sean uh, found out that in Finland he could go and study for free. And so he took his hobby to Finland, actually made it right up to the, um, near, near to the Olympic level. I just missed out on the Olympics. But went to study Greco-Roman wrestling in, in Finland. Well, he did so well and, and built a community of other... Um, like-minded men around him, uh, and, and as he was involved in the wrestling, he shared his faith, and, and smo- soon a small community had come to Christ. Now, Sean then realized, well, if, 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 uh, if I, I want to take these guys further and disciple them, I need to stay here, and so he, he, he enrolled in the next program, and soon did his master's, and, and the church grew, and another church grew, and Sean planted two churches in that city. Well, ten years later, Sean's now doing his Ph.D., still living off of the government in Finland that's paying for his education, and he's planting his fifth church in the second city in Finland. 500, around 500 Finns have come to know Christ in a very postmodern, secular uh, part of the world through uh, Sean doing what he loves to do and being who he is, who God's created him to be uh, creatively. Or Brad, who we got to meet in a close country as well. Actually, Brad grew up in a very close country, one of the most close. His parents were working there. And when he was a teenager, uh, graduating out of high school, he stood on top of a hill and said, Lord, it's my desire that you bring me back to this country because I want to reach my friends who are Muslims uh, for you. And so he came over here and did his university studies and then went back and was able to get a job in a multinational company back there, which he, where he works today as an engineer. And every day, Brad lives out his life with excellence as to try to be the best engineer he can be so he can reflect the glory of God and gets opportunities to share his faith with uh, Muslims and have them over uh, to his home on a regular basis and shining the light of Christ in that situation. Actually, there was a story recently about Brad uh, where one of his colleagues came in and said to him, uh, can you tell me about your wife? Uh, and this is a very closed Muslim country, but he said, your wife is so obedient. She, uh, she, you guys seem to have a good relationship, but she does what you say. And, and he said, my wife is so rebellious, and even though I beat her often, she, she still doesn't do what I say. And, and can you tell me more about this? And so uh, Brad had the opportunity to um, take him back to uh, the, the, the foundations of marriage and how, what God had created a man and wife relationship for and what it should look like. And uh, so I think, I think the story goes that, that uh, the man said, okay, I'll give it a shot, um, kind of uh, loving his wife and, and also... Um, submitting to her in a sense and, and, and he came back and he said uh, the next day he said oh, she just ran, she just stepped all over me I, that doesn't work uh, but he said I, I'm willing to give this a go for a bit longer and so Brad's taking him through a discipleship course now but that's just that kind of an example of someone in a small way living out their faith and, and even in a family context and how God can use that this is Hannes and uh, Hannes is South African he's uh, a, a, a an incredible man. Uh, he was an architect, graduated at the top of his class in, in South Africa, and was offered a job in the top, in a, a world-class top architectural firm in um, London. But at the same time, God uh, moved in Hannes' life and showed him how he could use his abilities in Zambia. And so Hannes and his family moved to the center of Zambia. They've been involved over the last five years of building out tens of thousands of square feet of training facilities for OM there. But on top of that, Hannes has also built 16 flats uh, that he's built to commercially rent out. Each one of these flats is now generating income that pays for a school in a um, slum community. And so he's, he's using his gifts to, pro- to, to model that sustainability, which is uh, not, only, and not only that, but he has 90 Zambians working for him who are learning that whole, that, that DNA of, of living out your life uh, through your skill set and, and able to multiply that. So um, what we're seeing uh, going forward uh, as an organization is that there's a number of indicators uh, that that are pointing us, apart from what we've talked about already, are pointing us towards uh, a new future. Something else is coming. God is is moving. And uh, one of the things that we're seeing is just unprecedented opportunities in some of the least reached areas of the world. I really believe that God gives every generation 
windows of opportunity to do something, to make an impact in a certain part of the world, and that that generation will be held accountable for how they acted. Um, uh, in Russia, uh, you, you have a country that for uh, nearly 2,000 years was, uh, uh, was never open. And, and for the first time in, the, in, that, in that 2,000 years, we've now had in the last 25 years an opportunity to go in and share the gospel. We don't know how long that will remain open. In the Middle East, we're finding something similar. In the country of Saudi Arabia, for example, Americans today have the opportunity to get five-year multi-entry visas uh, the Saudis, uh, the heart of Islam, are, are saying we desperately need professionals. We need skilled laborers in this country, and you guys can meet that need. They think we're all Christians here in America, and so they say, don't worry about the Christian thing. Just come. We need you. We were recently talking to a recruiter in Saudi, one of the largest hospitals. He said, we are hemorrhaging people today because ISIS is coming in and scaring them away. I can offer a GP today, and this is what he said word for word, I can offer a GP today travel expenses, free housing, and a $750,000 salary a year, and he still won't come out. And we believe, we believe that this is something unique. For 1,400 years since Islam was founded, we have never... We have never had the opportunity as a church to step foot on Saudi soil, to be invited into a country like this. And so uh, what is God doing? What does this mean for us? What does it mean that, that today hospitals are crying out? The, the government in Saudi over the next five to seven years, get this, is planning to build 20 new hospitals around the country. They have no idea how they're going to staff them, but the, but the needs are... Um, uh, the demand is so great. And so especially when it comes to specialists of any type, a lot of their nurses they bring in from the Philippines and, and Indonesia and other uh, parts of Asia, but they're looking in particular for doctors today. And so there's, there's a massive opportunity for us to fill that need. In all sorts of need. disciplines, and even very high, highly qualified nurses as well. Like Kay was. And just to give you an idea, one of those hospitals was going to be a 2,000-bed hospital. So these are not little rinky-dink hospitals somewhere out in the desert. Yeah. These are massive state-of-the-art hospitals. Yeah. So we see, we see an opportunity like, uh, like never before. And then when we look at uh, this generation of millennials, we see a generation that is uh, restless. And that's a restlessness that we believe God has put in their hearts. The whole idea of an American dream is, is something, I think, that applies more to previous generations. This generation is 72% in a recent poll uh, of, of millennials graduating over the last number of years said, whatever job I take in the future has to be connected to a greater cause. I'm not willing to just take a job for salary's sake or for benefit's sake. Uh, 69% said, I am actively looking to take a job outside of the U.S. And these 69%. are Americans, by the way. These are Americans. Where this used to be the place of the dream, it's changing. Yeah. They're wanting to, they're, they, they see the opportunity, and um, God has put a restlessness in their hearts. And so combining those two things, so missiologically what's happening out there, what God is stirring in the nations, and then how God is stirring here, we believe that these th things coming together uh, uh, mean something for us. And so our dream is this, that as we look to the, the growth of, of the unreached in the world, that we, we could change the model of missions and see a Jesus follower next to everywhere. That we would see Jesus followers in every community just living out their life quietly. And as their good deeds are seen by those around them, people will come and ask them for a reason for the hope that lies within them and they will end up glorifying and honoring God. We want to see these Jesus followers next to everywhere being who God wants them to be and living out their life in that way. So... Uh We've got a couple of minutes left, and what we wanted to share with you is really uh, the beginning of um, how we're seeing this vision uh, gain some, some traction. Uh, what we're, what we're uh, dreaming about is a, uh, a venture, a recruitment placement company that would exist outside of our current uh, organizational structure, and for security purposes and, and a few other reasons, that would be able to source jobs for people. One of the big challenges we have as we speak to churches, church leaders are saying, yes, this meets a felt need for us. We've, we've been...
Church leaders are saying to us all the time, we've got two or three or four people over here that we're mobilizing into mission every, every year through the traditional support raising model. At the same time, we've got 30, 40, 50 people going out, taking, their, taking job transfers into the least reached places of the world over here, but we've never seen that as mission. And suddenly God is turning their gaze from what they thought were the parameters of mission, and he's turning it over here. And so church leaders are saying, well, we've got all these people going out. They're not going out intentionally, so can you help us think through a way that we could send them intentionally? But also, there's so many more who are willing to go, but they just don't know how. They don't know how to find a job. They don't know where to start looking. Can you give us a resource? Can you give us a website? And so we've been working with a couple of web, web developers over the last six months to develop a proposal for a website that would be able to place live opportunities uh, that people could access in, in various cities across the world, specifically in, in uh, a lot of the hardest places, the least, least reached areas of the world. Um, uh, we would, we would, uh, we plan to not only provide uh, access to uh, a job board, but then also provide the logistical support that people would need to get there. We recognize that a big thing where a lot of people stumble is they see the job, they're excited about it, but then you got to deal with an employer who maybe doesn't speak English or doesn't know the visa process from your end or uh, has no idea about your family situation and you're bringing kids over and what does all of that look like. And so we want to be the uh, uh, the, the group that, that's able to say, we've had experience working in that place for 20, 30, 50 years, and we know what it takes to survive there, and we're going to help land you there well. Um, and then creating community. Again, this web platform that we're, we're talking about is, would be a place where people would be able to sign up for various tracks. They'd be able to... Um, uh, communicate with others like them who are serving in difficult parts of the world, be able to create forums around different uh, topics and also receive training. I think that's... Yeah, but, and also in the context of community, when you go to the country to be able to build, put you in communities of other people who are like-minded yeah. because often when you go to these close countries, people are not very open about the reason they're in there, so you don't find out. So, But we will know that, so we'll be putting these communities of, of like-minded Jesus followers together and say, you guys are trying to do the same thing Let's make sure you have that Christian community in the country. One of the things we're really excited about is we have a number of people who have been doing uh, cultural intelligence training um, specifically for businessmen here in the U.S. Uh, in, in just understanding as communities become more diverse and um, they're having to deal with cross-cultural employees here in the U.S., helping them understand their employees better to make better business decisions. Well, we're saying, well, what if we would take that and apply it to anyone going out and serving abroad? They could, they could go through a course like that to help them as they're landing in Saudi to give them a, a couple of basic tools to say, this is, this is going to set you up for success or this is at least going to help you um, get part of the way there. And we're building a lot of this on the, as Jonathan mentioned, on our close to 50 years of experience in, that, in, in the, this major part of the world, the on-reach part of the world, where we've been doing a lot of ongoing training and member care in that situation. So as we close the presentation side, we just want to show you a, a short video that really sums up what we're talking about uh, today. I designed you for worship. I made you to be united with me, to be connected with you in everything you do. When you love me in everything you do, it brings me so much joy. Wherever you are and whatever you do, do it for me. Do it because I love you, and I want you to love me. I designed you for work. From the beginning, I created in you a desire to create, just like me. I made you unique, complex, special. I gave you passions and skills, gifts, to give back to the world in the same way I gave them to you. Part of me is in you, that you want to create in the same way that I wanted to create you. I want you to use the passions I gave you. Why should these two ever be separate? In all parts of your life, I want you to worship me. Whether I created you to be an architect, a teacher, a dancer, I created you to do it. I want you to do the things I gifted you with for me. Your work and your worship never have to be separate. People will know me by what you do, the way you treat others, the way you love others. Your work 
we want to change what we've been doing traditionally for quite a number of years. We want to become an organization. We want to become a movement of people, enabling people to be who God has made them to be. But we're going to unashamedly call those same people to go be it where he's not worshipped. If you look at the map out in the atrium, you'll find that there are very little pins in the places where God is not worshipped. If our role on this earth is to fill the earth, that was the mandate God gave us in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth as you govern it, which we'll do it in the medical arena in this room. Jesus said it a different way. He said, go make disciples of all nations. The same thing, be fruitful and multiply. That's our job. We've left 2.8 billion out of our current strategy. We want to face back into that. And you folks are in the one profession, I believe, we believe, that you have the master key to any nation in the world because of the skills God has put in you. And we want to help you to be that, primarily where he's not worshipped. And so finally, we've got some time for some questions or comments. Yep. With the Middle East, uh, as a as a as an organisation, uh, our our organisation is called Operation Mobilisation. We have been doing traditional missionary work for 57 years in 118 different countries, and uh, a lot of what we're doing is among the unreached. And we're recognising that 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 part of the world is one of the most unreached parts of the world, and that's where our focus is. And we believe one of the greatest ways to get in there to reflect the glory and goodness of God in a sustainable way is through medical professionals. Thank you. Yes? Okay. We need to repeat the questions for recording as well. So, so the question is, is, are we able to do short-term or is it just linking towards career? You know, it, it's, it's, in, in this part of the world that we're talking about, let's take Saudi, for example, it's going to be very difficult to do short. Certainly, if in, the, in the realm of maybe being a consultant, you could absolutely go in, and we're looking at that as one of the models of people that are really advanced in their career and, and maybe towards the end of their career here and have said, you know, I'm going to stop doing it here, but I'd love to be a consultant, go in for two to three weeks and work with the heads of these hospitals. Absolutely. That is an opportunity we believe is very possible. But short-term, uh, traditional short-term mission teams with medical is probably going to have to be outside of these close countries. Now, there are some exceptions to that. There's a hospital, for example, in uh, Alain in the United Arab Emirates that may be able to do and there's some of those guys here today. Um, what we, what we are talking about short-term is to take exposure trips in. That will be small groups to actually go and experience the country because a lot of people are very fearful of a place like Saudi Arabia, for example. Well, if you go there, you'll find, yes, it's different, but you will find Dunkin' Donuts. You will find all of the same things that you find over here. And uh, especially for men, there's not a lot of difference. But for women, it's a little bit more restrictive, absolutely. Um, but I think we heard a message last night that sort of knocks that one on the head a little bit. Uh, so short-term mission will be a little bit more of a challenge uh, outside of the, the exposure trip, going in, see the hospital, just get the lay of the land. And we're very happy to do that in small groups. We don't want to go in in large groups. This hand first. Jonathan, you take the next question. So for the close countries in the Middle East, are those hospitals or organ- like, most of the hospitals are looking only to hire male physicians? Or male Repeat the question. Uh, so the question was... Um, the hospitals in the Middle East, are they looking primarily to hire male physicians or are there opportunities for females as well? Uh, there are opportunities for females, although uh, what we've been told, specifically in Saudi, the opportunities for physicians uh, are, are almost exclusively male. But within the UAE and some of the surrounding areas, there are opportunities for women as well. Yes? Are they still open to those 
Where's Brandon? You want to comment on that, Brandon? Yes, yeah, definitely. Sorry, sorry, just let me stop you one minute. Coming you down here because you're going to need to be recorded. The question was, is there, there's, is there an openness to some of the mid-level uh, jobs? Yeah. Yes, I think it's an expanding need for them. Anything that definitely has specialties, so those are areas that would be kind of advanced levels to help be over touching nurses and training would be uh, some availability. And hey, one question to add on the Saudi doctor, like OBGYN doctors and other specialties are needed because of the female to female. So that is uh, definitely, so there is opportunity for female physicians in certain areas that would minister to the women there. So, One thing I forgot to mention about this guy is b- before he was a pastor, when he had a real job, he, uh, <laughs> kidding. He, uh, I was a pastor too, so I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he was a, a recruiter, a medical, uh, a recruiter within the medical field, so he has a lot of uh, background in that, which we're very thankful and for. And prior to that, I worked for General Electric Healthcare selling ultrasound equipment, so. Okay. You really should have gone back to that one, because it paid a whole lot more money than I get paid now. I promise you that. <laughs> I was going to retire in a year, but that's not going to happen. Go ahead. Great question. Do these healthcare workers talk about Jesus on their job or is it after ours? This is a, a critical question, actually, because it, it sort, sorts out a little bit. Well, it, there's two parts to it. First of all, what I said earlier on, I, we believe that if you live out your life, if you, if you do really, if you have a good attitude at work, if you work hard at work, if you seek to be, do it really well, uh, it, it's reflecting who God has made you to be. It reflects his glory. People are attracted to that. That, is, that in and of itself is what we're called to do. Live our lives quietly. And, and I think to, to some degree, not that we're satisfied only with that, I think that's where we have to start and we have to realize that's, not, that's just not a small part of what we do. That's a huge part of what we do because that's building the credibility. And it's, 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 it, that's how we're reflecting His glory. Is through your, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. Why? So that they can hear your good words? No. So that they can see your good deeds. And what will they do? They will glorify your Father in heaven. Right? The good deeds is not charity. The good deeds is, he was talking to general guys out on the street here. Just live your life, let your life shine, light shine in, your, in your work, and they will see your good deeds. So, and let me tell you a story. To, the second, so the ministry is not done after work, and I don't think that's what you're suggesting. You were talking more about the freedom to share Jesus. We have a nurse in, in Saudi who every day in her workplace shares Jesus, and this is how it happens. She's taking care of people. And inevitably they say something along these lines. You are such a good nurse. You should be a Muslim. <laughs> Seriously. And she says, and she immediately will respond because she's been asked it so many times. She'll say, tell me why, give me one reason why I should become a Muslim. And she said, inevitably, they'll stumble and they'll stutter. And nine times out of ten, they have no answer. But maybe one out of ten, they'll come up with some sort of an answer. And she will say, well, can I tell you why I follow Jesus? And in Saudi Arabia, religious dialogue is permitted. So she tells them why she follows Jesus. And most days of her life in the hospital, because she's been just a great nurse, she gets the opportunity to share her faith. So in appropriate ways, you can do it. Now, obviously, you're not out in the street corner, but it's, it's in the context of your workplace. After you build relationship, and remember the number one reason why Muslims are coming to faith is because they're watching the life of another believer. And then they're asking for a reason for the hope that lies within them. And they get that opportunity to share in an appropriate way. And part of what we have to do is help people understand what does an appropriate way look like in that context. So, And definitely one of the challenges here, folks, is that is that when, our, when we, if we go there simply because we want a really well-paying job, and you will see with some of our things, the jobs are pretty well, you know, well-paid. They'll pay off your loans pretty quickly in some of these jobs. Um, if that's your primary motivation, then you'll probably never share your faith because you don't want to lose your job. Um, but if your primary motivation is the kingdom of God, then there are appropriate ways to keep that as your primary motivation and still keep your job. Kay's a wonderful example. 17 years doing this. Bible studies with Muslim background women in the hospital. It's possible. We have multiple stories like that in Saudi. There, there's, um, uh, we met, when we were there, we met both of people who uh, have the attitude that Andrew was talking about where I'm here for the job. And they said, I, you know, I've shared, I've shared my faith maybe five times in the last ten years and 
I did it really carefully. I don't know if they really heard about Jesus. And it was, you know, it was really... I, I, and there were others who said, no, I, you know, God's brought me here. If, if I get kicked out of the country, then, then God will be on to something else, but I'm going to share Christ. And, and we haven't heard of a single person who's lost their position because of that. Um, God just keeps opening up doors. Question about um, young kids, like families with young kids, and how does that work out education wise? Yeah, so the question is about families with. Try this one here. One, two. Yeah, go ahead. Stand from that, because you'll. Uh, yeah, so the question is about families with young kids. There's um, a number of different uh, options when you land in a place like Saudi. Uh, the UAE has a lot more options. But in Saudi, we have a number of families who live on compounds and a number of families who live off the compounds. If you live on the compounds, there are uh, incredible opportunities for... I mean, you, you have op- options to, to uh, receive uh, completely Western uh, schooling. Uh, the curriculum is the same. There's, there's um, a lot of options. A lot of our families, though, that live off the compound... Um, either uh, send their kids to a private school, and there's a number of options like that, or uh, homeschool. So depending on where you want to live, and, and some people say we want to live on the compound for the first few years, you acclimate to, to a new setting, and then we'll move off compound, and sometimes that happens, but uh, it just depends where you land. Yep, I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, yeah. and um, they have high school schooling. There you go. Thank you. So the comment was that uh, a woman mentioned that she grew up in Saudi Arabia and they have an excellent school system. Yes, sorry. Um, My question is about the Christian communities and just how it's one thing to go and have the support of like friends and family here in the States, but to go and actually have a community or people there that can also that you can be accountable to and yeah, great question. The question is, Brandon, do you want to? I don't think you're standing up here. Thank you. Yeah, earn your pay here. Uh, the question, the question was, uh, <laughs> the question was, what about Christian community? There, we have our community here. When we go there, how will we, how will we have that? Because it's going to be really necessary to survive in that setting. Yeah, it's a great question. We were there. I was a part of a group of us that went in May with um, Andrew and got to be with the different workers, and they've got a great team on the ground that have been there. And one morning we got to go and kind of just hang out with them, and it was incredible to be a part of their community, how they really care for each other. Uh, and then another story is a guy had just landed in the country two weeks uh, before we had gotten there, an uh, engineer working in construction, and the second night he was there, he went to open up a zip tie off of his uh, luggage thing and sliced his hand open. Um, had to have major surgery, five-hour surgery. So two days there, his family's back, still in America. Uh, and just the, the team around that supported him, they, they were admitted to the hospital, didn't know if that hospital was going to pay for it, about to go to another hospital, got that one back. But the guy stood with them all along the way. And at that point, that might have been, I'm out of here, man. This is, you know, God shutting it down. And, uh, man, he was bandaged up and everything, but he was going around with us and just still so excited about what God had put in front of him. And it was that community that was around, that had been there seven, eight nine years, knew the system, was able to walk with him from that. So that spoke a lot of volumes to me right there about the community. This guy wasn't back on the plane or wasn't coming back with us uh, from that. So a couple of seats that we were in, there's a great community of, of, of believers that are going to be there. And you're going to need it there. There's no doubt about it. So and they stay very small uh, in, in, inside of homes because it's illegal. Uh, but they, they worship together. We got to be part of that on a Friday morning. And But the challenge is if you go without connecting in with that network, it's very hard to find the network. And so that's why we want to provide that network uh, and then connect people on the ground because you will not survive if you don't have the community. Uh, We met a guy a couple months ago that was over there teaching and came back because he went over kind of by himself. And he just said, I wish I would have known about this community because I still would have stayed. So it's huge. Good. Okay, over here. Okay, you, you can comment as well. We, as I said, we have been doing this to some degree for a period of time. That what we're doing is we're instead of it being a small part of our model, we want to flip the model to where hopefully within 10 years this will be 90% of the type of people we're sending out and 
far more. David Platt talks about 100,000 of these types of workers. Uh, and I believe that's even too small of a number that I think it can go much greater because the jobs are far, far, job opportunities are great, far greater. Uh, so we, we have, it's, I, the way I would describe it, and this is probably the worst sales pitch you're ever going to hear, and this, we're not about here to sell anything. We're here to, to call you to the purposes of God. But it, it's, it's a clunky process right now because we're still, we're in the early stages of working this out. If this was easy to do, this would have been done a long time ago. Uh, even big recruiting companies would probably be in here because there's a, there's a sense, wow, this is a big opportunity. But it's, there's a lot of difficulty with it. So we're, we're in the process of building a team that's, that's trying to work out the kinks as we go along. And we can still take a certain flow of people right now and take them through that process. And we have the boots on the ground to do a lot of the when-you-arrive type services um, and so the training services. Uh, but the, the, the job placement that's where it's going to get a little, get a little clunky right now. But we hope to have uh, that by in, next middle of next year is when we hope to have that up and, and running and uh, going. Okay? You can, if, if you're interested in staying informed, then let us know at the end and we can take your name. This gentleman, and then we'll go over and the lady. That's great. I mean, you're, you're asking, I mean, the, the type of questions you're framing, I think most people we meet have these types of questions. Uh, and so thank you for voicing where, where to start. And I think, um, sorry, thank you. Uh, there was a couple, there's a couple of points to this, and that is uh, he, this gentleman knows of people who are doing this right here and doing it really well. In other words, being a, living out their, 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 their faith in the workplace uh, and, and bringing people to faith. Why, why should we go overseas and do it? Whenever there's an opportunity to do that here, it's safer. Our parents are probably going to be a whole lot more accepting of it, which is very understandable. Um, and uh, uh, so why, why can we not just stay here and do that? Uh, in, in, is that encapsulate what, what this I mean, there's a couple of, of answers. And you mentioned one other thing that I just want to comment on. And, and, and we are the ones most guilty of doing this when we talk about missionaries and we talk about full-time Christian workers. And you heard me saying earlier on, it's a horrible phrase. And, I, and I want, we want to be part of changing the language as well. When we talk about missionaries and then people who go a different way, well, we're, we're all called to the purposes of God. If that's what a missionary is, you go out and live out for the, your life for the purpose of God, we're all to do that. So let's get rid of that term, because it's not actually in the Bible anyway. Uh, and let's, let's just live her out. And full-time Christian worker, we have to get rid of that one too. Because uh, really, we all should be full-time about Christ. And, and I tell you, I was a pastor, and I'm now a leader in a mission agency. I've been guilty of perpetuating this language. Uh, and I need to repent of that and try to come up with new language. In the context of your, your main question, I, I would, the way we would answer that is, is simply, we, we have been given a task by Jesus, first of all by the Godhead in, in Genesis, to fill the earth, fill the earth with what? With people who reflect his image, because that's what we were made to do, to reflect the image of God, that his glory would fill the earth. We were, that's what we were created to do. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. How are we doing today as the church of Jesus Christ? Well, 2.8 billion of the people in the world have never heard. When I started missions, it was 1.5 billion. So I am failing miserably in my job. And by the time I quit, hopefully that will be like the second before God takes me home. I'll keep going. It'll be over 3 billion if I live long enough to 2050. So we have to, as believers today, alive today, when the church has more resources than it's ever had before, when it's technology like it's never had before, where it's easier to travel than it's ever been before, and when there's opportunities globally than there's ever been before, and when a generation is rising up that's more globally connected than they've ever been before, 
I believe we have a responsibility as the Church of Jesus Christ today to say, God, where are the gaps and how can we fill them? You've given us a task to do. We've left a big chunk of the world empty of the reflection of your glory and goodness. As far as your, your, the pinnacle of your image and your glory, which is us. Yes, the heavens declare his glory day after day, even without hands to clap or arms to raise. They still declare his glory. But we are the pinnacle of God's creation, the true reflection of his glory, or the ultimate reflection of his glory. And yet we've left big chunks of the earth. So we don't talk about where the need is. It's more about where are the unreached? Where are the people who have no... Because there's need everywhere. But where are the people who do not know of Jesus yet? And let's go reflect the glory of God there. And it's not going to be safe. And it's not going to look like here. But here isn't home. And safety. Gideon found out. And you know the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. He was hiding down in the wine press threshing wheat. Gideon found out that safety was not found in a place. It was found in the purposes of God. Out on a battlefield fighting an enemy much bigger than he, he, he ever thought he could face. So safety is not found in a place. It's found in the purposes of God. And, and, and that type of safety doesn't look like the type of safety that our moms and dads or our family might think. But safety in the eyes of God is what we need to be after. Sorry for that little sermonette. But that, it is, this is a question that, that, that uh, we, we have to get our heads around. As the American church, because we are a cozy church, and I'm an American now, by the way, too. I got the passport recently. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to get a job overseas, but, but I think it's difficult to do that job and be missional. What are, what are things that you see in a person that that person can be successful? Great. These are great questions, by the way. Repeat the question. Uh, yeah, so the question is, is it, he's saying easier to get um, a job, but the question is, how do you live out intentionally? Um, personally, one of my passions is, is coming back. I spent 11 years with General Electric and Healthier, and I looking back and realized I had hundreds of customers I touched basically here, thousands of people that I came in contact with that were dear friends, and only in my last two months when I kind of sidetracked from what I was doing to, to go live in Guatemala for a couple of years did I have conversations that were of value. And I realized looking back that I missed these opportunities that I had. And so I have a personal passion as I drive in missions in our church to, to see people say, you have conversations, you, people out there have better access than I do to the lost. I mean, I'm on staff sometimes, it drives me nuts. I want to be with you know, the non-believers out there. And so it's just looking for those bridges. And again, as what Andrew just said, taking off all the things that we thought is what we have to do in just day-to-day conversations. Uh, when you walk into your place that you work, you can most likely look across your team of people and you know what, how they're doing. I mean, I can walk into our church staff meeting or I can walk into GE when I work there and I know if they're having a good day, if they're having a bad day, if they're up, they're down, if they're having marriage problems, if they're not. The people that I work with GE, man, they would dump everything on me all the time. And I look back now, those were doors in to have conversations. And so it's just training. So us as a church, I have to take the responsibility to train up our people to realize, hey, it's where you are every single day. And to just look for those subtle bridges and part of the training process of, hey, how do you know your story, first and foremost? One thing we're trying to do is just teach our people, just tell your story. Because your story tells the gospel. And nobody is, at the end of the day, they can't be mad about your story if you have it to the gospel. They might be like, oh, I don't know the gospel piece, but that sounds really cool. It's your story. So you take your story with people and you look for bridges in it. And we just basically simplify. I think we've made things so complicated and so hard. And at nine times out of ten, if somebody's struggling, you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Most people don't turn down prayer. And so it's just training our people up to, to do those things in a much simpler That's way. That's great. So I think that to some it's intentional living, that you're, you, you understand that the hope of glory inside us, the, the, the Holy Spirit inside us, surely our attitude should be different. Now we have bad days. We have like we, we didn't get our cup of coffee or whatever. But this idea of understanding that when, when we, we are a light, and, and, and so we need to let that shine. It's that intention, intentionality about letting your light shine in your attitudes, in your excellence and work, um, and then, and then the, the, the motivation or the intentionality in your thinking. I am here 
to shine the light of God and look for opportunities to give a reason for the hope that lies within me. And if those things stay in the forefront of, of your mind, as Brandon said, I, those opportunities will come along, I can promise you. The problem is, is when, we, when we lose sight of those two things. That the, what Andy Stanley talks about when you lose your why, you lose your way. When we lose the why behind what we do, then we get caught up in all of the, the things. Jesus said, put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will get added on. So don't worry about the add-ons. Go after the kingdom. So keep the kingdom first in your mind and those opportunities will come. One more question and I think we have to call it quits. think that uh, in, in the context of what we're... Oh, sorry, the question. It, in, in short-term missions, when you show up and say, we're just here to love on you as medical professionals, uh, we're, nobody's paying us, if that comes up in the conversation, you, you already have a... People go, wow, you would do that? Uh, and that, that is amazing. Uh, so in this model where people are actually getting paid is do you start in the minuses? And I, I would say we, we do have experience because we have people already doing this. That has never, ever come up as a, as a conversation piece because uh, that's, that's normal. Actually, the opposite would be true. If you were, if you were here and you didn't have a job, because uh, you're not going to be able to exist in some of these countries, if you didn't have a job, they're wondering, who is paying you? Are you a spy? <laughs> Seriously. We, we, we just had a young couple return from the Near East and they heard what we were doing. They said, thank, thank God that you guys are working this out. said, because we built some friendships. And these local people confided in us that they knew of another house down the road where there was four young ladies in it with another organization. And we're all very tightly knit, so it's nothing about the other organization at all. And they said, those girls are either prostitutes or spies. Because they don't do anything else. They go around taking photographs all the time and sitting in coffee shops during the day. They must do something at night. And so this whole idea of going in with a real job builds the credibility that you need in these closed countries. Now, in other countries where it's maybe not as closed, this, this other situation would work. And I'm, this is not an either-or, by the way. Both of these models can work. But the, in the closed countries, the credibility comes from your husband gets up in the morning and goes to work like my husband. You're one of us. You're adding value to our community. You fit into our community. We start to see you as one of us. You want to say something? Yeah, I think it is the difference between short and long term. At the short term, there is a real value add when you, when you come yes. in and people see that love, and especially if you connect to a larger vision locally, the church, all of that. But, but long term, absolutely. Again, we found this in Russia so much. I mean, it, it became, uh, it became our, our biggest challenge was, was how do we connect with people and, and explain what it is that we're doing. Um, so I, I think... Um, uh, yeah, we, one of the things that we keep getting told over and over again by people is that because everyone is assumed to be a Christian if they're an American. If they're even Western, Madonna. Even Madonna, right, of course. She reads Bible stories for kids. All right. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> How do you know tell, that? And then tells them their fairy tales. I've okay. read that in articles. Okay. <laughs> uh, because everyone's assumed to be an American, uh, or to be a, a, a Christian. Christian if they're an American, there's immediately, uh, um, so, so alongside that comes the, the basic Hollywood stereotype of what an American, therefore a Christian, is. And within days, these people are coming into work and, and everyone's going, but wow, you're, you're so different than what I thought an American and therefore a Christian is. And, and that credibility is built very, very quickly when they see you don't swear, you're not, you know, you're, you're, not, you're drinking publicly, you're not uh, liaising with you know, women on every... They, they, they begin to notice that very, very quickly, and, and actually, um, it doesn't take you long at all to, uh, to put question marks in their minds about what, what breed of American are you, what breed of Christian are you. Good. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've been very patient. We have a few uh, handouts here. These are just 
examples of some of the jobs that we were able to find that are available. It talks about the salary, the benefits, all the rest. Remember, that's not our primary. But we just wanted you to have an idea of what's available. And there's also a card if you want more information to keep in contact. If you want to chat, Sally, Brandon, Jonathan and I will be up front. Our booth is over yeah, in the block. You. Thank you. But thank you. May God bless you as you seek his purposes.